You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where I'm certain Scott Gardner is happy that I'm not officially tying this podcast into Planet of the Apes. Especially Simeon version of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Engel, and my job on this show is to cover the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, putting a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. And surprisingly, both characters are going to be featured in the books we're going to be covering this week. Unfortunately, one of the books we're going to be covering this week is an annual, which is soundly regarded as perhaps one of the worst annuals around. It's Green Lantern Annual Number 8, which is a part of the JL Ape storyline. Guy Gardner's in there in his warrior form, which is always cool, but, well, we'll see what I have to think about it as we get along in the show. But the great thing I have to cover this time out is Green Lantern Number 120, which furthers the storyline of some of the ancillary characters in the Green Lantern books at the time. Namely, Kyle's apartment over and coffee shop patron, barista, whatever you'd call him, Radu Stanchu. We get to find out he had a little bit of an alternate life in uh, Romania back in the days of Nikolai Ceausescu, I think that's how you pronounce the guy's name. And uh, Radu might have had a bit of a, well, a bit of a darker life. And we get to find out who that whole Nick Fury eye-patched assassin was from last issue. It's another great issue where we get more fleshing out of a character that is kind of ancillary to the Green Lantern storyline. In fact, Green Lantern, again, really doesn't have much to do with the story, and in fact, Green Lantern kind of gets fatally injured at the beginning of it. But it's a great story, it's got great art by Jeff Johnson, and actually, I can't wait to get into that. The JL Ape storyline, maybe not so much. But we'll be taking a look at that, as well as any emails we've got, right after I play these podcast promos for some podcasts you should definitely be listening to. So, stay tuned. I'll catch you after the break. Disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. Yeah. 
Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up. Up and away! Atomic batteries. Turbines to speed. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. And once again, we are back. And since we're back and I've got an email, let's go ahead and read that email. Take it away, Tom Servo. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> and this time out, we've got a letter from Mr. Robert Ward, and it's entitled, Not a Just One of the Guys email. Oops. I'm going to read it regardless. It says, Dear Sean, I just wanted to drop up an email since I'm too lazy to try and find the 5-Minute Freakout podcast on Facebook, and there's nothing wrong with a rare burst of ranting, and yours was awesome. If you guys don't know what this is about, on the 5-Minute uh, Freak for Godzilla, I kind of had a little come apart and <sighs> had some words to say about people who like to talk in theaters. And if you want to hear that, you can check out the 5-Minute Freak on Godzilla that we did over at the Tutor Freaks website. Anyway. Robert continues, making it this long in podcasting without a master rant should be acknowledged as a triumph, but damn it, if you're going to rant, ranting about idiots in the theater talking is one to go with. Everyone loved it, and though while none of the others shared their stories, I'd like to think that most of us have bad experiences. While mine are not as bad, I can relate. He gives a couple here. He says, one, he was watching The Place Beyond the Pine. Two older women, a few rows in front of me, gabbing throughout about the actors, their roles, and obvious developments. Like the oh-so-necessary point out that Eva Mendez and her husband must have had a child together in the time jump. Haven't seen Place Beyond the Pine. Wouldn't mind seeing Eva Mendez, but there you go. 
Number two, he gave an example of Fast and the Furious 6. The last week of the film in the theater, midday during the week, only mean the whole theater of about half hour to 45 minutes in when an overweight woman, loudly munching popcorn, decided to wander in and stay until about half hour to 45 minutes before the end. As much as I thought the women in Place Beyond the Pines were bad, this woman just kept flapping her flip-flops nonstop. It was beyond annoying. I hate flip-flops as a practical piece of clothing, but it is... I'm sorry, as it is, but I have never understood how people could stand the slapping, let alone purposely slap them to ruin a damn film, even if there is only one person there. Yeah, that's got to be the worst, especially when you go to a theater, you're sitting alone in the theater, and someone comes in just randomly during the middle, and it's completely obnoxious. I'm not going to get off on another rant here, because that's not what I'm trying to do, but I understand your point. There's a different type of decorum of how you portray yourself in a theater versus how you portray portray yourself at home. If you want to watch a movie at home and be relaxed and be however you are, that's great. But when you come to the theater, you're a part of a community and there's a way that you're supposed to act. And you're not supposed to be an obnoxious git. Man, I said I wasn't going to go off on a rant and I kind of did. I mean, it wasn't bad but there you go anyway robert finishes up experience like this make me want to scream out insult and rant like you did in the freak out so don't be too negative and how you don't want to make them regular sometimes idiots are just idiots and you can't help yourself i can't agree with you more robert Uh, i won't make it a, a frequent thing about ranting and raving about things but yeah i just had to get that off the off my chest because it really did kind of not ruin the movie experience, but did definitely taint it. And with a film like Godzilla, it was it was hard to taint because I was really enjoying it so much. But it does really bring the movie experience down a bit. So there you go. But thanks, Robert, for writing in. Again, if you'd like to write into the show, the email address is... I'm sorry, the email address is just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. Go ahead and write in and I will read your email on the show and probably, well, definitely write back to you because I love getting correspondence from listeners. That's always a fun thing. Another fun thing that I like to do, another thing that I'm supposed to be doing in this podcast is talking about a Green Lantern comic, specifically Green Lantern number 120. Green Lantern number 120 had a cover date of January 2000 and a release date of November 3rd of 1999, which, oddly enough, was the release date of my older daughter. Yeah, uh, that was my uh, older daughter's birthday, so kind of cool. I'm certain that I wasn't in the comic book shop picking this up on the day my daughter was being born, or I would have had hell to pay. Anyhow, the cover price was $1.99 US and $3.25 Canada, and the title of the book was Target. The writer was Ron Mars, the penciler was Jeff Johnson, inker Cam Smith, letterer Scott, or not Scott, Sean Connaught, colorist Rob Schwager, assistant editor L.A. Williams, and the editor, strangely enough, was Bob Shrek, not Kevin Dooley. Hmm. Green Lantern Kyle Rayner has been shot and falls to the floor of the roof of his Greenwich apartment building, murmuring to himself about his fate. Well, that was a short issue. Who wants nachos? (laughs) Oh, wait, I guess there's more. Flashback to Kyle, sitting in his apartment, sketching images of Donna and Jenny, 
sadly not engaged in a bikini oil wrestling match, when he's surprised by the arrival of Golden Age Green Lantern Alan Scott. Cal asks why Alan hasn't changed his superhero persona from Sentinel, and Alan tells him that with the connection, without the connection to the core, he's happy with Kyle carrying on the tradition of Green Lantern. But the real reason Alan is here is to pick up the last of Jenny's things that were left at Kyle's apartment. Crestfallen, Kyle leads Alan to the last couple of boxes that Jenny had at his apartment and apologizes once more about what happened. Alan mentions that he knows about women problems, and he doesn't hold a grudge against Kyle. But if he did have to pick sides, he'd obviously choose Jenny. Kyle understands and only asks Alan to put in a good word for him with his daughter, as Alan flies off with Jenny's belongings in tow. Hoping to clear his head, Kyle leaps downstairs. Literally, he leaps off the fifth floor fire escape to see if Radu has opened the coffee shop. Luckily, he runs into the Romanian barista just as he's about to open the shop. But as Radu is reaching for the morning paper, a bullet fragments the coffeehouse window, causing Kyle and Radu to take cover. The duo dive inside, and as Kyle wonders why drive-bys had moved all the way up from Los Angeles, Radu says that the shooting wasn't random. It was targeted. We get some Thomas DJ level. Flashback time! Within this flashback, as Radu describes his young life in Romania, where he was a member of the military under Nikolai Ceausescu and eventually became a member of the secret police. There he met a man called Dracul, who sported a badass red dragon tattoo on his back and had a predilection for killing people. Radu worked with him for a while, but eventually the brutality was too much for him, so he and his wife Elena decided to flee for the west. Dracul was sent to hunt them down, but Radu was able to disable them as they were escaping on a train by slashing him with Dr- Dracul's stolen shiv. Elena and Radu looked like they were home free, but Dracul was only injured and was able to get a shot off, wounding Radu in the leg and causing the fleeing Elena to fall from his grasp. As the train sped away, all Radu could see was the love of his life in the arms of his former operative. Flashback completed. Radu heads into the street to confront Dracul on his own, much to Kyle's chagrin. Cut to the rooftop from the opening scene, where Radu and Dracul are having a reasoned discussion about their differences. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. Radu delivers some consequences, copyright relatively geeky podcast 2014, all rights reserved, as he leaps at the knife-wielding killer. Radu isn't faring too well, but luckily a knight in shining armor, well, Green Lantern on a construct jousting horse, intervenes and knocks Dracul off the Czech coffee maker. Giel checks on Radu, and this is where Dracul is able to put a bullet in his shoulder. Primary flashback over, we see Radu leap at Dracul once again, knocking the gun out of his hand as Green Lantern slumps to the ground. But before Giel can bleed out, Radu approaches him and tells Kyle that he can drop the whole secret identity shtick as they need to get him to a hospital before the police arrive. Groggily, Kyle puts a construct dressing on the wound and takes the two to someone who has experience in treating grievous wounds, as on the street below, the body of Dracul lies lifeless. At Kyle's apartment, Donna Troy... Wait, Jenny Lynn Hayden? Um, I'm not really certain. Bandages up our two heroes. Kyle asks Radu why he didn't ask for his help if he knew he was Green Lantern, and Radu tells him that he wanted to take care of his problems on his own. As Radu leaves the two alone, Jenny, Donna... Really, this is a huge mistake in this book. Tucks a bandage Kyle in a bed, 
wishing him sweet dreams. Okay, despite the major, major gripe I have at the end of this book, this is more of what I like in my Green Lantern comics. Character development, relationship, gives it a nice connection to the real world, which seems to be one of the things that the Green Lantern book in this era was doing. In setting a location of the stories in New York City, it does distinguish it from the other DC titles by giving you a real location rather than the fictional city like Metropolis or Gotham. This might also play out to why Kyle can sometimes feel like a Marvel character in some ways. And for my money, that's not really a bad thing, as the title feels firmly entrenched in the DC universe. But again, overall, another really good outing from the team, except for the thing that we'll get to at the end. Let's go ahead and take a look at it. Starting, of course, with the cover, which is... It's a decent cover, but you've got to think that there has got to be more than one sniper shooting at Kyle here, because looking at this cover, there are bullet or tracers from whatever bullets coming from all different types of angles. So, yeah, it doesn't really work knowing that we know in the book that there's only one guy trying to shoot at Radio and Kyle. Page one, this is a nice way to open up the... uh, the book with Kyle getting shot, and it's not, again, really too graphic. Uh, You do see a blood spatter kind of coming out of his shoulder, and you don't see... It's not majorly gory, but it's enough to get your attention. I do have to... I do have to think about this, that this was the same shoulder that Kyle got stabbed in in issue 84 by Fatality. So someone's got something against Kyle's right shoulder. It's he's not getting really good, uh, really good luck with not getting injured in that area. Moving on to page three, we see on this page, Kyle ostensibly drawing. Well, not really Kyle, I guess, drawing, but Johnson drawing representing Kyle drawing in the book, both Donna and Jenny. And here on the second panel here, they both look distinctly different. Donna has a bit longer hair. Ginny's face looks a little, little bit rounder. Her lips look a little bit fuller. There was a definite distinction. So Johnson knows which character is which, which will lead to the big problem that I'll have later on in the story. Page six, we get some really great back and forth dialogue between Alan and Kyle here. Alan respects Kyle and what he's doing as GL, but he realizes that his daughter is more important. But he is very pragmatic here. He's not dressing Kyle down for essentially dumping his daughter. He's not come here to make a make a statement against Kyle. But he is saying that if it were necessary to choose sides, he would choose sides with his daughter, which is completely understandable. His relationship with his daughter is paternal. His relationship with Kyle is business. So, yeah, there's a definite difference. And Mars does a good job of setting that up and setting the difficulty that Alan and Kyle are having in their relationship. Page seven. This is just kind of a nitpicky thing, and it doesn't seem like something that Kyle would do. In the third panel here, after Alan's left, he just leaps off the side of his fire escape and then makes a construct airbag or one of those stuntman air mattresses and lands on it in the alleyway that's just it doesn't seem in character for him 
why would he jump out the window? I know he wants to go get coffee, but this is just, it seems like showing off and it doesn't seem like in character for Kyle. Page eight, panel five. We can tell that the bullet hole is definitely a message rather than actually someone trying to shoot at them and miss because it hits directly in between kind of the eyes or the eyebrows of the face of Radu on the coffee pot on the window. So yeah, someone was trying to send a message to Radu here and it's neat that Radu was able to to see that rather than to just think it was some random shooter. Pages 10 and 11, the flashback does a great job of setting up the character of Radu, giving him a sort of backstory in Romania set against the the very evil uh, Nikolai Ceausescu, who was a very Stalinist dictator of the uh, country of Romania. So it again, it leads a sort of realistic background to this a superhero story that a lot of times you don't get. If If this were Superman or Batman, we'd probably have an enemy from Korak or something like this. So we've got a definite character related to a definite bad guy in the universe, and it just grounds the Green Lantern storyline a lot more here. Moving on, page 16, we get Kyle still trying to plead his secret identity with Radu as he's come in and knocked uh, Dracul off his, uh, basically knocked him down as him riding in as a knight in shining armor to save Radu. And he's still trying desperately to say, you know, I'm not Kyle when obviously Radu knows. And uh, I like this sort of not really naivete, but just maybe the misplaced optimism that he has that his secret identity is holding up around people that he considers his friends. Then, of course, on page 19, Radu has to confirm that he's known that Green Lantern is Kyle for a while. And it works. Radu's had the most interaction with him. Radu's probably seen him leaving. He's probably you know, seen the explosions coming out of his apartment, which has happened quite frequently. So it makes sense that Radu would know. However, he does mention that no one else in the apartment building knows. So maybe it's because, you know, one of them's blind and one of them's too interested in his film editing and one's a crazy cat lady and the other two are having hot lesbian sex, so maybe that's all of it. Maybe that's why only Radu knows. Then page 21, here's where I have the problem with this. This female who's at Kyle's bedside is drawn like Donna. Her hair is long like Donna. Radu calls her Donna. She mentions that she has experience playing den mother, like Donna did with the Titans. Although, even though I haven't read much of Infinity Incorporated, maybe Jade could have had some experience playing den mother or doing uh medic type things with the with infinity incorporated but she's colored green so you've got someone who you're supposed to think is donna who is obviously supposed to be colored like jade and it doesn't help at all moving on to the next page where there's mention of them possibly getting over their problems now, you've got to see if it's problems between them, that's Kyle and Jade, not Kyle and Donna, because they don't have any problems. Donna just doesn't remember anything. It's maddeningly frustrating. There there must not have been a communication between, you know, artist and colorist or 
writer and artist or something like this, but this is inexcusable. It really, really frustrates me. Maybe a look at the ads in the book. We'll take a little bit away of that frustration. Take a little bit of that frustration away. I can speak. The opening inside cover is an advertisement for the University of Butt Slam class. Meet the professor. It's the Sega Dreamcast version of Virtua Fighter 3TB. Maybe it's 3 terabytes. I don't know. But it basically has a member of the Virtua Fighter team leaping up in the air and slamming down on his opponent with his butt. So, yeah, Virtua Fighter. It was one of the... It was one of the 3D versions of Mortal Kombat, basically, where you could walk around a ring and had polygonal fighters beat the crap out of each other. Sort of a predecessor to Tekken and games like that. Then a few pages in, we get an advertisement for the movie The World Is Not Enough. I think the third outing of uh, Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. And not one of the better ones, as it featured Denise Richards as, I can't remember her name, something Christmas. And there was a pun in there about sometimes Christmas comes twice this year. And also Denise Richards was supposed to be like a nuclear physicist. Am I right there? Uh, yeah, I heard that this one wasn't a good one. I vaguely remember seeing it. I probably haven't. So, sorry, Pierce. Didn't really work out for you. Then on the next page is an ad for Thrasher, Skate and Destroy, which I guess is a PlayStation game that's not Tony Hawk, but you do the same thing that you would in Tony Hawk. I haven't seen a Tony Hawk video game yet, so maybe this is a predecessor to the sort of Tony Hawk skating games. Eh, no idea. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for Tony Hawk's games in later iterations of the book. A few more pages in, you get the Sony mini-disc ad and the Life is Hard uh, Scantron ad for uh, Don't Do Drugs Kids, so we covered those before, nothing really new there. Then we get a two-page ad for Spyro, Ripto's Revenge, I guess it's Spyro 2, another game where you play the little dragon that goes and burns things. Uh, never played it, never had a PlayStation, so uh, it could be an interesting game, couldn't be certain. We get... Gauntlet Legends, I think talked about this last time, which is the sort of the top-down you know, dungeon crawler type game. I like the arcade version. I never played this one. And then right after that, we get another two-page splash for Hydro Thunder, which is a Sega Dreamcast game, which basically it's, it's a typical racing game, except instead of uh, racing cars, you're racing basically jet-powered boats. It's very similar. I know there's a Wii game out there that like that's like this, where you race boats, basically. But eh, it's based on the arcade game, which I remember playing at oh, my local pizza place. I think my kids play it every once in a while, too. I think they've got one there. And eh, the Dreamcast has pretty decent graphics. So there you go. And... <laughs> And after that, there's more video game goodness for the Sega Dreamcast. It's Mortal Kombat Gold with 20 of your favorite characters. They return in the greatest Mortal Kombat ever, only on the Sega Dreamcast system. Even having exclusive characters for the Sega Dreamcast for Mortal Kombat wasn't enough to save it. And then even more two-page splashes with a very 
and it's backwards printing. It's something like it's a mystery wrapped in a riddle that tucked inside an enigma. I don't know what it is. It's a game called Grandia. It looks like it's another sort of Final Fantasy type game. Never heard of it. Never played it. Again, another PlayStation game that I have no knowledge or desire of knowledge to want to have. Does that make sense? It doesn't. And again, more video games, except this for PC CD-ROM games that you can buy at Kmart. Games like Home Roll, Flight Simulator 2000, SimCity, Deer Hunter 3. They've got Half-Life on there, which was an excellent game. NASCAR 3, Driver, and uh, Command & Conquer, Tiberian Sun. So, yeah, the PC games are being covered here too, not just PlayStation and the Dreamcast ones. So, video games are all the rage in comic books now. But of course, video games can't be uh, the only thing that you sit around in your house and doing. No, you need to go buy comics as well. And nextplanetover.com is the place where you can buy those comics from. It says, the advertisement here says, we've got so much cool stuff, you'll need a planet to hold it all. Comics and more. So, comics, toys, action figures, videos, books, magazines, shirts, and caps, and all, and tons of other cool stuff at npo.com. Nextplanetover. So... Yeah, essentially, your comic book store online. Neat. <sighs> then the next page is an ad for not another video game, but a movie based on a video game. It's asking people to prepare for the greatest match ever. It's Pokemon, the first movie. And they don't have the uh, subtitle of Mew versus Mewtwo, but that's what it is. And, you know, I know about this movie because I have kids and They've watched the Pokemon movie over and over again, so I know all about this. Pikachu's there, as well as uh, Lickitung and Meowth and Magikarp and, you know, all the other Pokemon. You know, Mushroom Head, you know, Giant Ball with Eyes, things like that. Then finally, holy cow, I don't know whether they've just loaded this book up with ads. It just seems like there's a lot more ads in the book. We finally get one for an actual DC Comics comic. Uh, it's Superman End of the Century. It's a out of the shadows of yesterday comes an evil to threaten the lives of, or to threaten all of our tomorrow. It's a, a spectacular new 96-page hardcover graphic novel. Uh, it says it's by Stuart Immonen, sorry, Immonen, and Jose Marzan II. Looks like kind of neat art. Uh, looks very, the characters look very 19th century, so. Interesting. Then near the back of the book, we get an advertisement for Wildstorm and Paramount Pictures adver or comic book adaptation of Star Trek Voyager. It's a prestige format one-shot called False Colors, and it's got a nice image of Seven of Nine and uh, Tuvok raising their phasers against some foe. And the Voyager craft, the, uh, the Voyager ship flying underneath them, it's... It's a nice image. I never read the DC line of Star Trek novels after, really, the original run. I know they shifted back to Marvel for a while, and Marvel published Deep Space Nine and a bit of Voyager. Plus, they were also doing a Starfleet Academy and, I think, an early Voyages as well. But then it moved back to DC, and it's it shifted so much that I don't know whether any of these books are good. 
Maybe I'll have to do a podcast about that eventually. Hmm, I wonder if I could ever do a Star Trek podcast. But coming back to reality, the back inside cover cover is an advertisement for the Catwoman game on the Game Boy Color, which looks like your typical side-scroller. It's probably along the lines of Castlevania, because I think Catwoman just whips things in the game. It's got a cover with Cat Catwoman in her very tight, amply-chested purple outfit, so I guess that's kind of neat. And then the back outside cover is an advertisement for douchebags. Grinning douchebags. Oh, wait, no, it's not for grinning douchebags. I'm sorry. It's just the people are wearing clothing that grinning douchebags would wear. It's Levi's, I guess, baggy, ridiculous clothes, and you've got two grinning jock-looking douchebags on here. Sorry using that word, but it's the only way I can describe these people. Find this issue and take a look at these people and say that I'm not right. I am. You know it. <sighs> Anywho, that does it. Uh, I guess I'm going to go take a break, go get some vodka, and try to sully on into the next issue, because coming up, Green Lantern Annual number 8. It's ape time. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil. No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster. But you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? This is the Old Father Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... All right, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... Ah, risen. All right, let's just keep this simple. Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. And we'll see you there. And we are back. And before I get into the coverage of the second comic book in our coverage today, I'd like to tell you a little bit of some of the side projects I'm doing. Right now, uh, I'm doing a little project with Michael Bradley, who hosts the aforementioned on the podcast Superman and Batman podcast. We're actually doing a show covering Tangent Comics, and at the time of release of this 
show. Uh, the uh, first episode should be coming out, or should be out, in which we talked about our origins with the uh, stories, and we uh, discussed the first issue, uh, the Adam comic, and it's a really good one. I really hope you go check out uh, Parallel Lines, the DC Universe Tangent podcast. Uh, it'll be over at Great Krypton, and you can also find it on iTunes, so go check it out. I had a great time recording with Michael Bradley, and I hope you'll have a great time listening to the stuff. Can you tell I'm stalling? I'm stalling here. Anyway, let's go ahead and get into it. This is Green Lantern Annual number 8. Green Lantern Annual number 8 had a cover date of 1999 and a release date of August 19, or August 18, 1999. The cover price was 295 US and 450 Canada and the title was Grunts. Because it's about monkeys. <sighs> the writer was Keith Giffen. The pencilers, pencilers were Octavio Carriello and John Nadeau. The inkers were Mark Campos and Jordi Ensign. Letter was Ken Brusenak. Colorist was Digital Chameleon. Assistant editor was Harvey Richards. And the editor was Kevin Dooley. Outside the besieged city of... Besiegia? Whatever. Gorilla troops. That's G-O-R-I-L-L-A troops. Limit the act of edible food scavenged from the captive humans. The simian sergeant of the troop tells an ape wearing the outfit of Green Lantern to suck it up as his performance on the battlefield wasn't as bad as he felt it was. In fact, he believes that the Green Lantern ape might just be the right recruit for a cadre of monkey space marines, something that the Green Lantern feels that he would excel at. Up in space, a cloaked guerrilla warfleet led by General Zolog, ponders their situation. The morphogenic field resoner, or the MacGuffin device, as I'd like to call it, used to transform humans into apes, has had some setbacks in its usage due to defeats by members of the Justice League. In order to turn the population of Earth into ape slaves, the fleet would have to come out of cloak in order to generate enough power to use the weapon effectively. This doesn't bode well with Zolog, as he tasked his technical advisor to find a way to make it work. Cut back to Green Gorilla and his hairy armed forces who are zooming towards the Cloak War Fleet as reinforcements. The cadre of chimps make aliens level of quips as they travel up to the fleet, knowing that they're just cannon fodder meant to protect the ships once the morphogenic resonator is fired. And, as if on cue, the morphogenic resonator is fired on the Hawaiian island city of Honolulu, changing almost all of the humans down there to apes. Pleased with their success, the apes prepare to fire on Buenos Aires, but their victory flinging might have to wait while a group of heroes consisting of Alan Scott, Martian Manhunter, the Metal Man, and, thankfully, Guy Freaking Gardner have discovered the now visible fleet's location. The heroes head into space in a tricked-out Fantasticar, while the Manhunter tries to intercept the transformed Green Lantern. Speaking of Green Lantern, he and his simian squad don spacesuits and engage the attacking humans in space. But before GL can inflict too much damage on the Metal Band and Sentinel, because the guy is too freaking awesome to be knocked around by a monkey lantern, he's teleported to a ship where he's interrogated by a fellow gorilla. Green Gorilla, however, sees through the disguise and socks a Martian Manhunter right in the kisser. John enters GL's mind and causes him to remember who he actually is, which somehow reverts him back to his human form. Whatever. 
freed from his feces flinging ways, Kyle joins the heroes in taking the monkeys in, in space. By taking out the space monkey marines, beating down General Zolog, and smashing a shuttle into the MacGuffin weapon space platform, blowing it up real good. Crisis averted, Kyle takes the talking apes to a prison facility where there'll be no triple at all. <laughs> oh wait, I'm sorry. That's a far better story ending. Oh well. The end. curtain a bit on the recording of the shoe shoe show i usually write my notes sometime the week before and i record and have them ready to go on monday of the following week currently i'm recording on monday as of the time of writing this i am currently finalizing these notes at 10:35 p.m on sunday night so you get the idea that when i was writing these notes i was really putting it off I've heard bad things about these series of annuals, and I thought, hey, they can't be a Calypso or Bloodlines level of bad, right? <laughs> right? <sighs> Sadly, I was wrong. The Eclipso annual might have been poorly drawn, but the story was okay. And the Bloodlines annual was one of those set in the excess of the 90s, so that you just have to look at it and go, wow, this was really set in the excess of the 90s. But this... This isn't even a so bad that it's kind of good thing. It's just bad. Now, to be fair, Keith Giffen is a good writer and has some clever ideas, but this wasn't one of them. Plus, the story falters from actually starting and media res and giving you no hints to what caused all of this. I guess if I had read the other annuals tied to this, I might have understood the story better, but if this is an example of the story, I don't want to know what went on in the other annuals. The art is passable. Cariello and Nadu do a great job, or not really a great job, a decent job at drawing the apes and making them look like apes for the most part. Cal and some of the heroes have some good moments as well, but unfortunately Guy just looks off. However, it is nice to see the warrior out kicking some monkey butt, especially since he was woefully underused in the Day of Judgment crossover. Still kind of a sticking point for me. But let's go into my minimal amount of notes for this. Uh, I really don't have anything about the cover. It's just there. So, yeah, the cover really didn't grab me. Space Monkeys. My first rule note is on pages 2 and 3, and it's not really about the art, it's about the dialogue. The dialogue between the apes is very much called for movies like Aliens and the like. Of course, it really would have helped if I had any idea who any of these characters other than Kyle were. They're just some bunch of random monkeys that I'm certain are given names throughout the book, but I didn't really care to investigate what their names were. Moving on the book, on page 12, we get the apes firing their MacGuffin device that's going to change the humans into apes, and the people in Honolulu are just looking up in the sky as this thing happens, and sort of outstretching their arms like damn dirty hippies would, and 
accepting the fact that they're going to be transmogrified into ape slave labor. <sighs> Damn dirty hippies. Pages 14, 14 through 17. Surprisingly, and I'm kind of glad about this, Giffen doesn't write Guy as a college jock douchebag in this book. Aside from him not having much to do, he comes across pretty well in the book. And knowing Giffen's predilection for writing Guy as a sort of right-wing stereotype, the fact that he doesn't turn to that trope and doesn't bring Guy down to that level is is kind of nice, and maybe it shows a bit of growth for Giffen as a writer. Not that he wasn't a fantastic writer beforehand, but just in his outings with writing Guy, it always seemed that he was the butt of all the jokes. Then, like I said in the synopsis on page 17, this top panel, Reed Richards is going to be pissed with the middleman for stealing his fantastic art. I'm serious, it really does look like a fantastic art design, with everyone sitting in their each little bubble pod things, and it's just, uh, I don't care. Page 22, I will give it, there's a nice one-page splash of Kyle remembering all these things that have happened to him. In fact, him being in the Justice League with Superman, Batman, The Flash, Sentinel, and Jesus. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, that's not Jesus, that's Aquaman. And then uh, an aging Burt Reynolds handing him a Green Lantern ring. Or is that Ganthet? I can't tell. It, it the uh, Whatever. And then, of course, he's also flashing back to... Is that Bruce Wayne, you know, just before his parents got murdered by Joe Chill? What's that image there? I've never seen images of Kyle as a child. What is it? Thankfully, the art is good, even if the storytelling of the art isn't. Then on page 23, we hear John saying that the ring could have changed him back from being an ape at any time. So, thanks, Glenda. I really appreciate you. Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks, John for telling us all about that at the very last minute. Uh, page 27, it's another good splash page of Kyle, but I really don't care anymore. And going through the rest of the book, there's fight by fight, space marines, who care less. Page 37, Kyle's captured the marines, and he has a sort of conversation with, a, I guess, the sergeant who was leading him, and he's disappointed that, you know, the sergeant misled him or something. Ah, don't care at all. This one ranks pretty low on my read-through of these Green Lantern books. It's still not the lowest that highlight or, I guess, low light still relates to issue number 37 of the Green Lantern story. But this is really not very fun. Uh, everything that people have said about the JLA crossovers, I'm starting to believe are probably true, because if this is an example of it, it's a pretty poor one. But that does it for these books, and that actually does it for annuals. At least we're caught up to them, and I'll be reading the rest of the annuals as they come out of the month of release. So next time, instead of taking a look at only a Green Lantern comic, which of course would be Green Lantern number 122, we're also going to be taking a look at that, and the Secret Files number 1 which heavily involves Guy Gardner talking about how he, well, didn't take the ring when it was offered to him by Ganthet. Plus, we'll also be looking at Green Lantern number 121, which looks like it has something to do with Kyle and Jenny getting back together. Maybe it's actually Jenny that was at the end of this issue. 
who knows. Anyhow, I want to also say that we're kind of coming up close to the point in the in my comics reading where I haven't read some of this stuff. So, coming soon, this will be all new Green Lantern to me as it might be all new Green Lantern to you. Unless, of course, you read this as well when it was coming out. But regardless of that, I'm still looking forward to reading it. And I'm looking forward to talking about it and looking forward, hopefully, to you listening to me talk about it another episode of just one of the guys coming out in seven days till then hope everyone has a good weekend we'll talk to you later folks you've been listening to just one of the guys a greenland podcast hosted by yours truly sean ingle all images stories and music are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended this podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast or search for Two True Freaks, the numeral two, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can also search me on Facebook. And now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Debonsecore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was Ape Man by The Kinks, off their album Lola vs. Power Man and the Money Go Round, Part 1. Man, the 60s had some wacky titles for their albums. Anywho, if you'd like to buy this song, or buy the weirdly titled album that it comes from, the best place to go and buy that would be Amazon.com. And the best way to get to Amazon.com would be by using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com. When you click on the link at the upper left-hand corner of the banner page at 2 you'll be transported to Amazon where you could buy the CD, buy the album, or buy the MP3 of this wonderfully zany kink song. Plus, you can buy a myriad other things, from electronics to games, TVs, whatever the modern nerd could ever want, and all at ridiculously low prices. Plus, when you use the link at 2 a small portion of your purchase price goes back to the website. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it really helps the website and podcasts like us out. So whenever you think about buying music, games, DVDs, any type of entertainment, make sure you go through 2TrueFreaks.com to the Amazon.com website. 2TrueFreaks. Zoltek. <laughs>